Hi, my name is Richard Pickering and I work at Cushman & Wakefield. Welcome to the 200th edition of Futures Cut, where I offer an opinion on the evolving role of real estate in a world of technological, social and business change. And today, in celebration of this 200th edition, I address a subject that has been core to this blog over the years, which is predicting the future. Creating predictions is very difficult, especially about the future. So said Danish atomic physicist Niels Bohr in the 1960s, and it certainly hasn't become less difficult in the 2020s. Um, I didn't exactly do a great job of predicting the future when I started this blog in 2016. Um, I envisaged it would run for about five editions. Unbelievably, and with a little encouragement along the way, uh, today marks the 200th edition. What started out as an exploration of an uncertain future for the UK as it started to leave the EU has developed over the past six years into a more wide-ranging review of how the world of real estate is changing and how it might continue to do so. So much has happened in this short period that we're already standing in the future of many of the early predictions. For me personally, seeking to better understand the future has become a bit of an obsession um, I founded our Futures programme here at Cushman and Wakefield, and in pursuance of that, I've met some uh, fascinating and inspiring people. Although present times can be a bit disheartening, um, I find that those whose minds anchor towards the future tend to be relentlessly optimistic, creative and passionate. They make fantastic people to sit next to at dinner parties. And in rubbing shoulders with these great minds, I've learned a little bit along the way. And I wanted to dedicate this 200th edition to the subject at the heart of Futures Cut, which is predicting the future. I consider some tricks and traps for would-be futurists and present the method that we've used to create our 2040 vision uh, for the future of cities. So let's start out with uh, asking a, a fairly uh, fundamental question. What is the future? Well, without wishing to get lost in the esoteric, um, the traditional Western view is that time is a linear progression stretching out from the Big Bang to eternity. In that context, the future is everything from today to that latter event. Um, this idea of the time uh, being a linear progression, perhaps even a predetermined progression upon which humans just bob up and down, is important to many forecasting techniques. But it's not the only explanation. Um, some modern and Eastern thinking is more receptive to the concept that time, in fact, doesn't exist and it, that it's just humans that perceive the change of matter from one state to another as being progressive. If our minds create time, then the past may just be a shared illusion. Neuroscientific studies show that those with amnesia find it hard to imagine the future. And there's an importance to that. Um, it's our knowledge of the past that gives us the ability to project into the future. If what we know about the past is in question, then our predictions are also likely to falter. And that's why, in my view, a good futurist is a forensic historian, and a good story about the future mainly talks about the past. If our perceptions of the past differ or are anchored in perception biases, then the future will be similarly shrouded. Okay, let's get back to the tangible. What future horizon is the most important one? Well, that is, of course, a subjective question. However, most people I speak with in the real estate industry want to talk about the next, let's say, two to five years. And there are obvious reasons for this. This is the typical horizon of an investment project. It's the term of a loan, 
Um, it's the element of the cash flow which matters most. So due to compounding interest, um, the immediacy of most uh, decision making, um, and the perception that the mo more distant future is just basically guesswork, most people only really want to think out that far, about that two to five years. Respectfully, that is a big mistake. Um, so let's think about why, why that might be. Well, firstly, it's because five-year forecasts are rarely correct. Having an economist's forecast sitting on your desk when you're creating your business plan offers a degree of seductive comfort. And that is why it's really dangerous. Most of the time, forecasts are useless. And when they're right, it's often by chance. Just look back over the last 15 years. What was the most economically impactful activity? GFC, Brexit, COVID, now the Ukraine. None of these were predicted in the consensus forecasts, and yet they dominated the market returns in that period. I'm reminded of the time when uh, Queen Elizabeth II asked regarding the global financial crisis, why did no one notice it earlier? So my advice, put down the charts and start thinking about the black swans. They will eat your regression for breakfast. And secondly, even if you are a chartist, longer horizons can in fact result in greater accuracy and reveal deeper meaning. Just consider a chart of GDP of um, a developed nation, let's say from 1950 to today. If you step back and squint a little bit, it's basically a straight line with a consistent gradient. Now, sure, if you took a, a random point on that line, you've got about a 10% chance of hitting one of these abnormal periods of recession and rebound. But otherwise, the growth uh, is fairly progressive and, and, and steady over that period. Um, a longer horizon, you see, helps to smooth out this shorter term noise. But in any event, don't plan your business on straight lines and point estimates. Instead, I'd advise doing two things. Firstly, focus on the fan. Now, by that, I mean the shaded area of tolerance around the central prediction. And this is a much richer source of prediction than the line itself. That's because it gives you a sense of the risk of getting things wrong. Um, standard deviations typically kill averages in the short run. Confidence intervals should be one of your primary decision-making tools when predicting the future. Now, secondly, by backing convictions and picking qualitative and structural trends, you might not be able to arrive at a specific quantitative outcome, but being directionally correct is a great place to be. In 1997, when being interviewed about why he developed his concept for Amazon, Jeff Bezos uh, didn't mention the projected year-on-year -year growth of the book market. In fact, it was nothing really to do with books. He talked about his fundamental belief in the explosion of the internet. He then tried to find a business plan that would allow him to tap into that growth. And he'd figured out, because of the high number of SKUs in the book market, a physical bookstore could never really ultimately compete with an online one. And it turns out, of course, he was right. It's better to be successful than it is to be specific. And look, in any event, the future is never as far away as you think it is. To say that you've, let's say, got a five-year horizon and therefore can safely ignore a 10-year prediction is just illogical for, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, few things in life happen in binary steps. The internet didn't go from naught to five billion users in a year. That trend developed over time. And by tapping into a trend that might not be, or so it might be fully realized in 10 years' time, you'll still see plenty of benefits within five years. Secondly, in the investment world, things happen much more quickly than that. 
Um, I've heard it said that the best investors buy on rumour and sell on fact. Um, otherwise put, you don't need a definitive event, you know, for instance, a new piece of legislation or something like that, to happen within the horizon of your investment in order to feel its impact. All you need to happen is for sentiment to change that it might happen in the subsequent period. And the capital markets will, will then do their work to bring back a discounted measure of that future value impact back to present day. The next thing you've got to do is acknowledge and embrace uncertainty. Anyone who tells you they know what the future holds is either delusional or more probably trying to sell you something. A good futurist builds up a sufficiently plausible series of scenarios around the future and creates a thought through argument about which ones are most likely to materialize. And that should be based on evidence and logical inference. But essentially, it must acknowledge that today's facts are only indicative of what might become and could easily be um, derailed by externalities. Now, sometimes the range of future scenarios doesn't give us the answer we were searching for. However, within those basket of scenarios might lie a truth that is common to all of them. And that's a great piece of information upon which to base a strategy. Now, um, I, I've got to make this point. Futurology is not the same as reading your horoscopes, no matter what some people might think. Um, when you mention the term futurism or futurology, um, it can often provoke quite a cynical reaction. And, and that, I find, is particularly true from uh, left-brainers who like to work in deductive methods with um, absolute truths. Um, however, futurism done well is equally systematic. It's actually a form of inductive science, which starts with pattern recognition. Um, it tends to be broader in scope than deductive reasoning in, in that it explores many kinds of input factors like macroeconomics, technology, social sciences and, and behavioural uh, science and economics. Um, importantly, unlike deductive reasoning, it doesn't start with a hypothesis, but rather with an open-ended exploration. Now, it could be quite um, easy to get lost in that complexity, but to be really reductive about it, futurism is simply an exercise about what might change and what might feasibly stay the same. And in my experience, the what might change bit is usually most influenced by technology and second by social change drivers. <clears throat> okay, so what kind of uh, techniques can be used to explore the future? Well, um, there's loads of them. Um, I'll just give you a, a couple here that I found useful. So uh, the first is probability trees. And basically what you're doing there is dividing uh, the future into a series of exhaustive and mutually exclusive scenarios or decisions. And then you allocate each one a probability. Um, and then you follow the tree down a couple of branches, repeating that process. Uh, finally, what you do is you quantify the output at the end of the final branches um, and you discount that back to the initial decision uh, to form a cumulative uh, 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 probability weighted value. Uh, and you can use that to assess risk or, or make a decision today. So that's really good where you've got an idea of the probability of different uh, decision or future branch elements. Um, the second one you've probably heard a, a bit about is game theory. Um, and that recognises that agents within a system will usually uh, react rationally in their own best interests. And so therefore, game theory analyses a series of sequential moves between counterparties to arrive at a likely outcome. Um, and that technique can be used both to plan the strategy of someone within the system uh, and kind of work out how to win, um, or to predict how the interactions might affect the system as a whole, which is what uh, futurists uh, are most concerned with.
Um, the next one uh, is Delphi studies. Um, so experts in those studies are asked individually for their perspectives on a defined domain that the person carrying out the study is wanting to explore. And following an initial round, outcomes are then shared with all respondents anonymously um, and themes among those answers are identified. Uh, these are then used to frame more specific questions back to the same experts and you repeat that um, various times to hopefully arrive at a consensus view uh, and in doing so uh, build uh, a plausible uh, story about the future. Um, the next one's environmental scanning and that's basically a scouring of uh, technical or scientific press for early stage innovations uh, which if commercialized could then maybe feasibly open up new ways of doing things. Look, if you're not doing that um, I don't think you can credibly call yourself a futurist, but a uh, word of warning, it will consume your free time and, and only occasionally uh, yield something noteworthy. So it's a it's a necessary evil. Um, last one I wanted to, to briefly mention was Shell Scenarios. That was developed in 1965 in the long-term studies department of what was uh, Royal Dutch Shell. That's a business that for obvious reasons has a strong interest in the long-term future. And it's um, a scenario planning technique that they used to create uh, what they called a year 2000 study, um, which was obviously the, the long term future at that time. So this te technique uh, favours plausibility over probability um, and the importance of the discovery process itself, uh, rather than just the, the outcome in informing the, the perspective of the uh, researcher. Now, importantly, most of these processes recognize the fallibility of systems due to the biases of those working with them within them or, or indeed those carrying out uh, the prediction now in my view the biggest and most damaging bias when predicting the future is an anchoring in the present and a a, a genuinely felt often belief that this must continue um, herman khan he's one of the great early futurists if you don't know know him uh, once said the most surprising future is the one that contains no surprises. Um, I've also heard um, any believable prediction of the future will be wrong and any correct prediction of the future will be unbelievable, quite like that one. Um, now for some, a projection of the present is driven uh, by a desire to maintain the status quo. Um, and in others, it stems from an inability to open one's mind to, to broader perspectives. Particularly, I find that many people have uh, quite a, a significant conceptual difficulty in imagining technology that doesn't currently exist. So uh, they can imagine quicker and faster technology, no problem, uh, but try and imagine new or horizontally different technology and it just blows their mind. The second most damaging bias, almost in contradiction to what I've just told you um, in many futurists, is the overexpression of change. And look, let's face it, if you earn a living from futurism and you don't come up with some sort of world-shattering predictions, you're kind of putting yourself out of a job. So watch out for over-enthusiastic futurists. Um, so coming to, uh, to that, how would I score myself as a futurist? Well, there are a couple of things I could look back on over my uh, 200 editions of futurism and give myself uh, a very small pat on the back for. Um, in 2018, I've presented a deck to a series of clients with a list of risks uh, to real estate. And one of those risks that I cited was a pandemic. Um, but does that make me a modern day Nostradamus? Um, well, unfortunately for me, absolutely not. 
Um, pandemics happen on average every 10 years. That's what the data seems to suggest. And so the chances of one happening in the subsequent two years after I made that prediction was about 20 percent, quite quite high, actually. Um, the fact that the 2020 pandemic was an extreme one um, conferred a retrospective credibility to my prediction, which I was only ha too happy to, uh, to, to wallow in. But the reality is that it was pure chance. Now, none of the other risks that I put on that slide, thankfully, uh, came to pass. Um, I did, however, in, in another deck, make a series of predictions about the substituting impact of technology on real estate. And I do stand behind those predictions with uh, a greater sense of pride and conviction. They've been based on, a, on what was a much deeper thought through analysis using some of the techniques I've, I've mentioned already. Um, if you'd like to discuss where what happens next on those predictions, obviously uh, drop me a line and I'll, I'll see what I can do to um, uh, give you a glimpse of the future. Um, however, the true test for the success of a futurist is whether anyone listened to anything you said and acted on it. And really, that comes to the punchline of uh, today's uh, podcast. Whereas most futurists like to predict the future, the best ones actually want to shape it. Now, what they're practicing there is not prediction, but rather persuasion. Um, if you think about it, the ghost of Christmas yet to come wasn't sent to Scrooge for his amusement. It appeared with the intention of influencing his path. Um, recent work by Robert Schiller on uh, a subject called narrative economics puts uh, substance to this. And in this, he argues that many stories about the future have a high contagion rate, which can result in widespread changes to public thinking. And it can even uh, precipitate economic events such as uh, the Great Depression. Uh, as FDR said at the time, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. Now, I strongly believe uh, in the objectivity of truth. But perhaps we can allow ourselves a little bit of an indulgence in setting a positive vision for the future. As Peter Drucker um, once said, the best way to predict the future is to create it. OK, and so to our vision for cities in 2040. Um, if you uh, followed the last uh, episode of Futures Cut, um, you'll have seen that um, at Cushman's we've now launched our virtual Future of Cities Lab. It's a project... I've been personally very involved in and uh, has, has taken us some time over the summer to produce. And, and that addresses all aspects of urban change and how cities might emerge in 2040. Look, you might uh, assume correctly that this was not just a, a fanciful vision or guesswork, uh, but instead it followed quite a structured methodology um, about how um, uh, using, using some of the techniques I've, I've talked about today. So... Um, if you're interested in how we did that and, uh, and, and what that meant for our vision, um, I'd be very pleased uh, to put uh, in the uh, comments of this podcast um, a link to that site. Uh, it's going to be introduced by my new friend, Phil the Filament. Um, I shan't say too much more about that, um, but uh, look through that, have a look at the methodology and, and let me know what you think. Um, in the meantime, thanks so much uh, for your continued readership. I really can't believe I've got to 200 editions, but um, it's been due to the encouragement of people like yourselves who have been regular listeners and readers of, of uh, the blog. Um, and I look forward um, to seeing all of you um, in the future. Okay, that's all for today. Um, I hope you found this interesting. If you did, 
then why not check out um, our website, futures.cushmanwakefield.co.uk. And you'll see I've also, um, as I mentioned, included a link to our Future of Cities lab uh, in the podcast description. Okay, thanks, guys. Uh, See you again soon.